And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God, and let's start in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and chapter number 11. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 11. We're in a series talking about the vision of God, and on Sunday morning we had talked about Isaiah 6. Isaiah getting a vision of God, seeing the Lord high, holy, and lifted up. And that how that vision of God just absolutely changed his life. It revolutionized his life. And that when you see God as he truly is, it will change your life. And we have to keep God in his rightful place. On Sunday night, we explain that it all begins with God, that God is always previous. Before we have a need, God already knows about it and He already has an answer planned. Before salvation was offered to us, uh, before we could even get saved, God had already prepared the way. God is always previous. And we have to realize that it all begins with God. In this sermon, this series, this part right here, We're going to take the flip side of that and we're going to show that it all ends with God, that God is the goal. And if you wouldn't mind, look with me in the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." And with the Lord's help, and I'm going to use this as a jumping off point, but we want to hit the idea that it all ends with God, that God is the goal. And maybe, if you wouldn't mind, let me give you the principle that we're going to apply here, a a philosophy that I call taking the high road. Taking the high road. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again I come up to you. I've been praying all afternoon, all day, that you would make it as clear as possible. Lord, when we get a hold of this principle, this lifestyle change, Lord, how it revolutionizes everything. And I'm asking that you would have attentive hearts and attentive ears. And as we just hit some theological things, some philosophy things based off the Word of God. I'm asking that we would be able to take these and make it ours and that we'd apply it in our lives and that we would watch things change dramatically as we make you the goal. And Lord, that's all it is tonight. You are the goal. Let us seek after you. Let us find after you. Let us chase after you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in a prayer session we had the other day, I had mentioned this verse, and if you don't mind, let me just kind of quickly recap this verse. But it says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. By the way, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If you don't have faith, you cannot be pleasing to Him. What is faith? Faith is looking unto Jesus. That's simply what it is. I get that definition from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the next verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. You know what faith is? Faith is looking unto Jesus. It's looking unto Him and seeing Him. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. Must believe that God is what? That God is God. If you're going to look to God, you have to believe that He is God. And that He, God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we explain that what are these people seeking? They're seeking God. What is their reward? God. And with this idea, I want to tell you that God is the goal. 
When we say that it begins with God, we say that God is always previous, that God is always taking care of things. He's always beforehand. At the same time, we say it all ends with God, that God is the goal. That's what we're going for. We're trying to get God. And with this, we develop a philosophy called taking the high road. Taking the high road. You see, in taking the high road, the choice is not between the good and the bad. But instead, it is between the good and the best. For example, many of you tonight, your struggle is not after service, are you going to go across the street and go to the bar? You're you're not deciding between the good and the bad. But the choices you have in your life is between good things and the best things. And the best thing is always the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Chasing after Him. Going after Him. That God is the goal. That He's the one you're after. He's the one you're aiming for. He's the one you're trying to obtain. That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. And so the choice you have to make is not between the good and the bad, but between the good and the best. You know, there are many people who do good things. But are they doing the best things? Many times as a preacher, people will come up and say, well, what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with this? And some of those things, it's not necessarily that they're bad things. It's just the idea what is the best thing. And the best thing is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. And so with this idea of taking the high road, of choosing the best over the good, we develop a philosophy of different things that apply to it. Now, I can't hit everything that goes along with it, but I'm going to do a shotgun method tonight. I'm going to show you this principle in action through the Word of God that what does it mean to take the high road? What does it mean to choose Christ, to pursue after Him? What, is the, what, what does it mean to choose between the good and the best? And so, as we see that, we see that the best is always chasing after Christ. Let me show you in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 12. Jesus himself takes time to tell a parable. And we see something about this idea of choosing the best things. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, and notice starting in verse number 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it says, One of the company said unto him, Master, speak unto my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made you a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater. And build greater. And there will, will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall the, those things be which thou hast provided? 
And so we see here Jesus speaks about a parable about a man who goes and he has lots of things. He's worked hard and he's got lots of things and he looks at his abundance of things and he says, I need somewhere to store this. So he breaks down and rebuilds and he has more to store and he looks at himself and says, you know what, I could take it, take it easy now. Look at all the stuff that I have. My life can be easy now. And God said, you're done. And he takes him up and says, now, where's all that stuff you worked for? And we can see that, is it wrong to work? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to store up things? Absolutely not. But you see, this man had made that the goal. He was doing good things to the neglect of the best things, which was pursuing after Jesus Christ. The biggest failure is to succeed outside of God's will. The biggest failure is to succeed outside of God's will. Someone could go make a million dollars, but if they're outside of God's will, it's useless. It's nothing. It does them no good. And so we see the idea of choosing between the good and the best. And the best is choosing after Christ. There are many people who are succeeding and doing lots of things, and because they have a measure of success in their minds, they think they're fine but they can miss up their whole life. They can miss everything and succeeding outside of God's will. Now, on the opposite part of that, there are no failures within God's will. There are no failures within God's will. If you're obeying God's will, it doesn't matter what outside judges things to be. If you're in the middle of God's will, there are no failures. God never promised that if we followed after him that we would always have our bills on time and everything else. Some people think that. He didn't say that he would remove the struggles if we're in the middle of God's will. He didn't say there are times that we would hit rock bottom. Look at Job. He was in God's will and God took everything. Was he a failure? His friends said he was, but he was not because he was in the middle of God's will. There are no failures in the midst of God's will. If you're in God's will, even though it may not be success or the measure of wealth or whatever else, the world judges it to be. There are no failures. You look at Jeremiah. He preached for 40 years and he didn't get a pat on the back during those 40 years or good job, keep preaching. But he was a success in God's will. There are no failures in the midst of God's will. Now, We've already talked about before that the servant has only one job. And that's not to, not to serve, but to obey. And that's all we are as servants. He's the master. He tells us what to do. And we say, yes, sir. And if we're obedient to our master, we've succeeded in what God has given us to do. And so we understand that taking the high road, we don't choose between the good and the bad. We choose between the good and the best. And the best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Joshua and let me hit another idea of taking this high road of choosing Christ. Turn with me to the book of Joshua in chapter number 1. Joshua in chapter number 1. A much preached verse, a very familiar verse, oftentimes taken a little bit out of context or the wrong emphasis. But turn with me to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou shalt observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice the two words, then. It says that thou... Um, that thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that, that, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I've heard many people take this and put an emphasis. You want success in your life? You want success in your life? This verse is not teaching how to have success. The emphasis of this verse is to observe to do. That success is a byproduct to the goal. And that brings up the principle here that when you're taking the high road, you don't make a goal out of a byproduct. You don't make a goal out of a byproduct. What is the goal? The goal is God. The goal is to follow after Him. In this verse here, it says you study, you meditate on the Bible, and then do it. Then when you do it, you should be prosperous and have good success. That then is a byproduct of the goal. The goal is to get you to obey the Bible, to follow after God, to be the servant that we ought to be. And the byproduct is success, to have that prosperity. We don't make a goal out of a byproduct. If you make something else the goal, you weaken both goals. Now, today, many people make goals out of all kinds of different things. Now, the goal is God. The goal is chasing after Him. But some people put service as the goal. How can I serve? What can I do? And if they're not serving, they don't have their worth. They feel like they failed if they're not serving. That crowd would have a hard time around Jesus. Jesus took time to separate Himself. Jesus took long seasons of prayer. Those type of, that type of crowd would be uncomfortable around Jesus when He pulls Himself apart to a desert place. Our goal is to obey, not for service. Now, I'm not saying we don't serve. We obey what our Father tells us to do. Some people make standards the goal. I've been to a lot of standards preaching church, and I believe in standards. But standards are a byproduct. When you follow after God, you don't have to preach on standards all the time. You just follow after God. (coughs) But there are some people... that preach on dress right, they have how far the dress has to go down and no slits and, and for the guys and how the haircut has to be and whatever else. And they got all these rules and they work on the outside, but in the inside it's dead and lifeless. Look at the Mormons. They dress right, they look good, but they're not saved in the inside. Now standards are important, but they're not the goal. The goal is God. Some people put growth as the goal. That as a church, the goal is uh, growth. And if you don't have a certain amount of growth, then uh, you're not successful church. Hey, anyone could build a crowd. Only God could build a church. You know, we could do all kinds of tricks and whatever else to fill the pews. But that's not building a church. And the goal is not growth, the goal is God. And as long as we're following God, He'll give us the right amount of people to come. That's who God is. We follow after Him. Some people think results, uh, that if I don't 
talk to enough people, if I don't see enough people get saved and whatever else, the results are up to God anyways. I'm just obedient. So we cannot make a goal out of a byproduct. The goal must be God. The goal has to be God. And so when we take the high road, we choose between the good and the best. And the best is following after Christ. And taking the high road, we don't make a goal out of the byproduct. God is the goal. Following after Him. Being obedient to Him. And taking the high road, we remove all secondary causes. I'll show you this in a second. In taking the high road, we remove all secondary causes. Turn with me to the Minor Prophet book of Jonah. Most people are familiar enough with Jonah that I could kind of show this illustration here. But in the book of Jonah, in chapter number 1, we know Jonah has been called to preach to go to Nineveh, and he did not. He is turned away, and he's on the boat, and a storm comes, and... What happens in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 15, notice this. So they, the sailors, took Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the seas ceased from the raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice. Now the peop- these sailors were afraid before during the storm. They were much more afraid when they threw Jonah in and the storm was calm. But the sailors threw Jonah in. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 1. And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cry by the reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me and out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice for thou hast cast me into the deep and the mist of the seas and the floods come past me and above about and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Notice verse three, for thou hast cast me into the sea, into the deep. Now who cast Jonah into the deep? Sailors or God? God did. Now, he recognized that the sailors were instruments, but it was God who was behind it. When we take the high road, we remove all secondary causes and we see God behind it. We call this God's unconscious preparation. Do you know that there are choices that you make for yourself and there are choices God makes for you? God did not give you a choice of where you were going to be born. Or when you were going to be born. Or who your parents were going to be. If he did, some of us would say Bill Gates or, you know, someone else. But God didn't give us that choice. God made the choice for us. And we have to look beyond these circumstances and see God behind the circumstances. Do you know that there are some things that happen in your life that God allowed to happen for a reason? And we have to look past these secondary causes and see that there's a God behind it and he knows what he's doing. This is part of that life of taking the high road that we see beyond the circumstances and see the God of the circumstances. We're taking the high road. We see that it's God that's behind it all. And so in taking the high road, we choose the good or we choose the best over the good. We see on the high road that we don't make a goal out of the out of byproducts. When we take the high road, we see we remove all secondary causes and see God knows what He's doing. I'm going to t- develop this into a message later about God's unconscious preparation. I'm going to spend much more time on this. But we have a God who knows what He's doing. And then on the high road, we see that waiting on God is not a waste of time. 
Waiting on God is not a waste of time. Look with me in the book of Psalms 25. Psalm 25. Waiting on God is not a waste of time. Some people get so impatient. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We're such impatient people today. But waiting on God is never a waste of time. Look with me in Psalm 25. It says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them that be ashamed, uh, let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Notice again verse 3. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. That's an important verse. God says, hey, nobody who waits on God will regret it. You will not be ashamed and said, I should have never waited on God. That will never happen. When you take the high road, waiting on God is not a waste of time. And Bible college, there's a lot of kids that just... You give them a couple months and, and they don't want to finish class. They want to hurry up and they want to get out there. They just can't wait to go tackle the world and go charge hell with a squirt gun. But it is never wasted time to stop and sharpen your axe. It is never wasted time to wait on God and to wait for Him to work. We get so impatient. In fact, you know that one of the biggest forms of worship we can do for God is to learn to wait If we can learn to wait, that shows that we have absolute trust in God. That you're trusting that God will carry it through. It is never wasted time to wait on God. You will not be ashamed because you took the time to wait for God. Sometimes that may mean you wait for a while. But it is never wasted time. There are things that God has placed on my heart. I wish I could do them right now. I wish I could get them up and get them going and get this done. And, you know, I can almost justify in my mind, Lord, look and see how much things and how many things can open up. But it is not wasted time. There are some people that are so convinced they've met their life mate and they just want to hurry up. Well, you know, it could be that God is actually preparing her to be the best wife or that man to be the best husband. That God knows what he's doing. And we get so impatient. But God can be preparing someone else. It's never wasted time to wait on God. And taking the high road, this is a good one. We are a hopeful people. And taking the high road, we are a hopeful people. Turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to the book of Titus, chapter number 2. Titus in chapter number 2. And taking the high road, we are a hopeful people. Titus, chapter number 2. Titus in chapter number 2, notice in verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, God is on the throne. We all know that human nature, we're negative by by our sinful nature. We like bad news. Bad news can travel faster than anything else. 
We can look and see at our world and we can get so focused and so attentive on all the bad things that happen. Some people can get focused on a certain cause. I was listening and hearing about a preacher who preached a hundred messages on the Antichrist right in a row. You know how depressed that church was? towards the end of it, hearing about bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And we can look at our world and we can spend time talking about how bad the government is, how bad this is, and how bad that is. And you know what that does? It makes us cynical. It makes us negative. It makes us horrible to be around. But God is on the throne and we have a blessed hope. We should be a hopeful people. Do you know one of God's names is actually the God of hope? He is the God of hope. And we should be hopeful people. Some people said, well, look at all the unsaved people. Yeah, but you know what the Bible says? That God is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. God has a desire to see them all saved. There's always hope. And we need to be hopeful people. That when people are around us as Christians, they should hear the hope that comes from us. We understand there may be times that we have to point out something bad, but can you give them some hope? Can you give them something to give some hope on? Sure, this is wrong, but let me tell you, i got a good God. Yeah, I understand that these things are here and they need to be taken care of, but God is still good and God is still right. We need to be hopeful people. Otherwise, we're horrible testimonies for the Lord. If all people hear from us is what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that and what's happening here and look at this because it affects us as Christians, as people who are looking unto the Lord. If God is our goal, we are a hopeful people. We have to look at work on this. We have to keep our eyes on that on the Lord for us to be hopeful people but looking for that blessed hope. We're looking for it. Jesus is coming back. It doesn't matter how awful the world is. In fact, I want you to come Sunday morning and I'm going to explain why Jesus Christ in His second coming is our hope. And I'm going to preach a whole message on hope. And it's going to be a good stuff. But Jesus Christ is our hope. We should be hopeful people. When we're taking the high road, we understand that the will of God settles it all. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2. The book of Philippians in chapter number 2. What is taking the high road? It's choosing between the good and the best, and the best is the never-ending pursuit of Christ, that it all begins with God, it all ends with God. God is the goal. And when God is the goal, there are other things that change philosophically in your life. There's lots of things that change. That we remove secondary circumstances and we look at God. That we don't make other things a goal. God is the goal. That we're a hopeful people. We realize that waiting on God is not a waste of time when He's our goal. Because if you've been waiting for it and you get it, it's a wonderful thing when God shows up. On the high road, the will of God settles it all. The will of God settles it all. Notice with me in the book of Philippians, chapter number 2, starting at verse number 11. It says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. And verse 12, it says you need to work out your own salvation. Does this mean that you're fear and trembling, saying, am I saved, am I not saved, am I saved? No, it means why did God save you? God gave you a purpose when he saved you. And he has a purpose for each and every person who comes to know Christ as a savior. And it's a very fearful thing to find God's will. And you can know God's will. God wants you to know his will. In fact, it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, to prove God's will. That goes beyond knowing. That means that you proved it. You have evidence that it was God's will. And verse number 13 here, it says, For it is God. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of His good pleasure. God has purpose for you. And it pleases God for you to do His purpose. He has a plan. He has an individual plan for your life. He has a goal. He has something for you. And when you have God's will, it settles it all. If you could forgive the personal illustration. In the last several months, I've been asked the same question over and over. Most people know that I pastored a church before, and unfortunately, it's in the process of closing right now. And we've labored and we work there. And I've heard over and over by many, many people, a legitimate question, they're asking, Did you waste your time there? And the answer is no, absolutely not, because I was in God's will. I remember we were in Phoenix when they called me up. And they called me and my wife, or called me up as soon as I was done. And I closed the phone and I said, honey, that's where we're going. I know it's God's will. I hadn't even been there, hadn't seen pictures. I said, I knew It was God's will. So we go and candidate and we meet the people. It's a half a million dollars in debt. They can't pay the preacher. Can't move me out. All of that has to be done on its own. They have an illegal daycare running. All kinds of illegal things under the table and stuff. And my wife and I examined. We knew exactly who was who. And we went home and I still said, with all the problems and all the things, I know it's God's will. And we're going. We show up. We were there one month and the ladies gathered together and pulled my wife aside and said, listen here, your pastor's wife and name only. Your job is to stay home, take care of your kids, take care of your husband, stay away from the church. This is our territory. That was month one. My wife would ask from time to time, and I say, This is God's will. It's going to be all right. It was not a waste of time. Nothing else. God was perfecting me, God was working in me. And I knew from the very beginning to the very end, I was in the middle of God's will. God's will settles it all. As long as you know you're in God's will, that's all you need. Because God is the goal. And you know what? No matter what the church did, I knew 
I was pleasing of the Lord, that I was to do His will and His good pleasure. God's will settles it all. As long as you know that you have God's will. On the high road, the will of God settles it all. On the high road, Christ is the motive. Christ is the motive. There are many people who try to bargain with God and they try to serve God in order to get something from Him. But we don't serve God in order to. We serve God because of. You know why I serve God? Not to get something from Him. I serve Him because all He's done for me. He saved my soul. He gave me the greatest wife ever for me. He's given me children. He's given me so much. I serve Him because of what He's done for me. You know, I've done lots of counseling and a lot of working. I've met people who start serving God so God will fix their marriage. I see people that try to serve God because they need money from God and they figure if they serve God, you know, for a couple weeks, God will bring in the money or something. I don't serve God in order to get something from Him. I serve God because of what He's done for me. This is doubly important for people who don't have their salvation nailed down. If you don't know for sure that you're, you're going to heaven, what you end up doing is you end up serving God in order to make sure, to double check that you're going to heaven. You're serving God in order to get something from Him instead of serving out of a thankful heart for what He's already done for you. That when you take the high road, that Christ is the motive. I serve Him because of what He's done for me. The, why do I do what I do? Because of the love of God constraineth me. Because of what He's done for me. Anything that I get outside of heaven, or actually outside of hell, is a blessing. It's something I don't deserve. And God's a good God. I've got so much more, but I'm going to do just one more, if you don't mind. I'm taking the high road. As you can tell, this is a whole philosophy. This is a change of life. This, this is a revolutionary thing. If you get a hold of it and you apply these things, it changes everything when God is the goal. Turn with me to the book of Exodus in 33. Exodus in chapter 33. Many people are familiar, of course, with the life of Moses. The used of God to lead the people through the wilderness for 40 years. He was an 80-year-old man when he started. And when he brought him to the promised land, he was 120. 80 years old, and he started serving God. <laughs> but he was used of the Lord. In Exodus, in chapter 33, we see God and Moses having a conversation Moses had a special relationship with the Lord. You could have it too, by the way. Exodus in 33, verse number 12. Notice what it says. Exodus 33, verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See that thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou shalt not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. 
And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thou presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein it shall be known that here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, is it not that thou goest with us? So so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are from the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. In Exodus 33, we have the best biblical argument for separation that you can find. In Exodus 33, Moses is saying, God, I just want to double check. In fact, he has the same prayer request that Paul says in the New Testament, that I may know thee. You know what Moses' goal was? It was God. Moses' goal was God. And he says, I want to know thee. He says, give me your presence, or I'm not going unless I have your presence. And then in verse 16 it says, For wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people. Here we see, in taking the high road, it is Christ who separates us. It is Christ who separates us. As God gives us His presence, He pushes all the extra stuff out. There's a tree. I forgot where it's at, but it is the last tree to lose its leaves. And it doesn't lose its leaf until the spring. And what happens is that the leaf finally falls apart as the new leaf pushes it out. That's exactly what... God's presence does in our life. That when we have God's presence, He naturally pushes all the other stuff out. The things that you loved before have passed away. Things you love far more have come to stay. You know, you may have something that you love and you can't imagine ever giving it up. But when you have God, sometimes He naturally pushes those things away. You said, are those things bad? No, they're not necessarily bad. But he has replaced it with the best thing. And that is the presence of the Lord. And that's what we want. We want the best. We want God. God is the goal. And when you get God, he naturally pushes those things. You know, it's amazing as a Christian, there's some music that I no longer enjoy. As a Christian who's following after God, there's some movies that I used to watch before no longer interest me. There are some activities that they may not have been bad, but I no longer desire them because I desire something else more. That the presence of God naturally separates us out. When God is the goal, it changes everything. And so I'm giving you this philosophy. I'm giving you this biblical principle that it begins with God, that it ends with God. God is the goal. And the principle we're applying is taking the high road. That it's not a, a, a fight between the good and the bad. It's a fight between the good and the best. And the best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Follow after Him. Make Him the goal. Someone says, what's the goal of your marriage? God. What's the goal of your life? God. Make 
him the goal. Make him the thing you're going after. Make him the one you're pursuing after. And when you do that, everything else changes. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful